Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Series 9 of Monkey Tennis. As you may know, since 2016, we've been tirelessly dissecting, discussing, researching and celebrating the work of Alan Gordon Partridge. And we're fast approaching the milestone of 100 episodes. If you've been enjoying the pod, we've set up a Kofi page where you can show your appreciation and buy me or us a coffee. All you need to do is go to co-fee.com forward slash monkey tennis. So that's ko-fi.com forward slash monkey tennis. If you've enjoyed listening and you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider buying us a coffee, Kenko or Flavia. It'll help us to continue to rake through Alan's past and future output. Nothing changes with the podcast. It's simply a way for you to show your support for the cream of our discharge. So thank you, and very thank you. Now, on with Series 9 of Monkey Tennis. Aha! Damn! Monkey Tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Don't not notice the noise. Monkey Tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism. More distance between the eggs and the bean. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're unpacking. Basically, beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Back of the net. Hello once again, and welcome to Monkey Tennis. Now... Alan Partridge and podcasting don't necessarily go together in the mind's eye, but 80-plus episodes later, and with Alan now doing his own podcast too, we think they do in the brain's ear. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. I was touched deeply by an English teacher at school. Nick Holder. You should ask people if they want ice. 
Tom Stab. I love wordplay. So this week, we're going to take a little look at open books. We've had a few of you in touch uh, pledging your support for this little corner <laughs> of the APU. Uh, it's obviously a special that went out uh, to publicise uh, the book I Partridge. Uh, and it's a kind of a strange little curio in the Alan canon. So um, we're going to take a look at it this week before we move on to the bulk of uh, Know Me Knowing You, the radio show. Uh, Tom Dark is going to tell us a little bit about where it sits in the Partridge canon. Thanks, Adam. Yes, I'm going to guide you through the timeline here. So this initially broadcast 2nd of July 2012 on Sky Atlantic. So we're in Gibbons phase one here, as I like to call it. So to contextualise, this comes after Mid-Morning Matters. And the iPartridge hardback edition was released 29th of September 2011. The paperback 26th of April 2012. And then that leads into Places of My Life and Open Books. Places of My Life aired on the 25th of June. Open Books a week later two weeks later, 2nd of July. So clearly promoting the paperback release of iPartridge and also starting the TV broadcast promotion for Mid Morning Matters Series 1 because that actually aired on Sky as half-hour episodes in 2012. And obviously 2013, we had the Alpha Papa movie. So that's where we are in the APU. That's where we are in Gibbons Phase 1. And Tom, if I could throw over to you now, I believe we have the press release that went out when this show initially aired. Broadcaster author and keen rambler Alan Partridge makes a welcome return to television screens as a special replacement guest on Open Books with Martin Bryce, hosted by Chris Beale. After the modest success of his previous book, Bouncing Back, it was pulped due to poor sales, Alan returns to discuss his latest tell-all tome, I, Partridge, We Need to Talk About Alan, a book critics have hailed as very thorough. In fact, Alan himself describes his autobiography as the best book he's ever written and one of the best (laughs) he's ever read. High praise indeed from a man who started reading aged a half. (laughs) The book charts Alan's rise from humble beginnings in a semi-detached house in a modest suburb of Norwich to TV superstardom before ultimately establishing himself as one of the better DJs on local radio station North Norfolk Digital. An accomplished chatter, Alan is only too keen to share the secrets of his craft, revealing details of his gruelling writing regime, 1,500 words per day, usually with a bowl of hard-boiled eggs for sustenance, as well as his views on reading, writing and literature in general. A truly absorbing interview that offers a rare insight into the mind of a man who clearly has had and continues to have the last laugh. Beautifully read, Tom. (laughs) That was great. Uh, so, I mean, right from the opening credits, you've got uh, you've got a sort of an <laughs> idea of of how how literary programming works in the APU. Uh, author names flying across the screen, such as uh, George Orwell, followed by Ian McEwan, and, and winding up with James Corden. Yeah, you've got Orwell, Dickens, Rushdie, Corden, all the greats. Yeah, and uh, James Corden's autobiography is the only book by James Corden that I could find on Amazon, released in 2012, called May I Have Your Attention, Please? Ladies and gentlemen of Monkey Tennis uh, listenership, can I have your attention, please, as I read one of the Amazon one-star reviews (laughs) from this autobiography? I have to admit, I didn't buy this book. It was left on a train and I had nothing to read and a a two-and-a-half-hour journey, so I thought, what the heck, and cracked on. I would have been better served counting pylons pass. The writing is second rate, the anecdotes are uninteresting and he fails to tickle my funny bone even once. I would rather slit open my scrotum, insert 15 live wasps and stitch my scrotum back together, (laughs) then ask Ian Botham to set about both my knees with a cricket bat while I sit back and downed a pint of caustic soda. Suffice to say, I don't recommend this book to anyone, 
much less actually spend any of your hard money on it. Naturally, I left it on the train when I alighted. I'll never get those two hours back. Wow. <laughs> Scathing stuff. I mean, as reviews go, saying that you'd rather split open your own scrotum, <laughs> stuff it full of wasps, and then sew it back up again, it's not a ringing endorsement, is it? Not really. <laughs> I think the worrying thing was, I also looked on his Amazon page, and sadly, there were lots of five-star reviews. Oh, never read those. <laughs> no, there's nothing interesting there. I, I just hate the general public <laughs> people just people can we talk a little bit about the conceit of this show i think we're yes. we're led to believe that it's a regular norfolk based show so mm. is it supposed to be one of those ones that's kind of just put out locally on terrestrial telly it's not a pear tree production is it it's not it's no. not one of his own shows no it, it's very clearly adam it's norfolk's foremost forum for lovers of literature <laughs> yes. what more could you need to know also for, it, those, for those of us that didn't get the joke and might be slightly thick it, <laughs> it's supposed to be with Martin Bryce. It's hosted by Chris Beale. What's what's the joke? Martin, Bri- Martin Bryce will never be seen. Yeah, what am I missing? Is it is the idea that basically this is a show where the guest is a stand-in and so is the presenter. It's it's just it, replacement central. Mm. Or is yeah, there more to it? Pretty much. I think that's it. I would just question and think that was particularly funny. But but I, I think the, the the joke lies in going open books with Martin Bryce with Chris Beale. It's kind yeah. of like that weird, right. the extension of the nah. with, with, I with. See. Yeah. And then also the amount of times that, that he Alan says Martin yeah, yeah. and yes. he goes, it's Chris. And we <laughs> know from the press release that you just read that Alan wasn't the first choice for guest yeah. either. So <laughs> it's, it's understudies left, right and centre. It's an absolute shambles of a show. So yeah, very much lo- local television is happening. It's mm. local cable access. It's yeah. Wayne's World. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shall we talk about Chris Beale? Yes, I think we probably should. Played by Robert Popper, who of course is the writer and creator of Look Around You and Friday Night Dinner. Yeah, but this has just blown Nick's mind. <laughs> so let, before we dive into Robert Popper more, so Nick, you're a huge fan of Friday Night Dinner, it's fair to say. I really, really, really like it. Did also, you... haven't you met Robert Popper? Uh, no, he's... <laughs> <laughs> No, no, he sent me a video message once. Oh, right, okay. okay. Oh, so you, of his face. Hang on. So his face was in that video. It was. It was a personal and, message. Too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then off mic, uh, before we started recording this episode, weren't you just telling us that you didn't know who played Chris Beale? Well, I thought it was actually Chris Bell, but that's because there's a typo in my notes. But that doesn't matter. That's <laughs> yeah. the character. And then I remember name. I used to work with the Chris Bell. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's the character's name, not Robert yeah. Popper's name. Chris, stop so, stop, so, stop so, trying to so, dead cat so, us so, with anecdotes. Just, you're just getting things wrong. Just to clarify... You didn't know who played him, even though you've received you've received a personalised video message from the actor that plays Chris Beale, aka Robert Popper. He hasn't messaged me in a while. It's been a while. Mm. Or have a quick look on IMDb. Well, yeah, but I couldn't see anything. You said Chris you'd look Bell. on IMDb. <laughs> also, you haven't done that. You said he hasn't contacted you in a while. Are we to surmise from this that for you to recognise anyone's face, you expect like a weekly video <laughs> message? <from you? laughs> Check in weekly. Is that yeah, the so only can... reason you know who we are? Yeah, so I can just keep abreast of uh, changes to people. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, Tom, let's delve more into Robert Popper. Let's get back to that. Yeah, so uh, as well as the shows that I just mentioned that he created, he was also uh, he also worked on the scripts for The IT Crowd, The Inbetweeners, Him and Her, and Peep Show as well. So a bit of a, uh, a comic legend in terms of behind the scenes also uh, three episodes of Statlet's Flats I believe as oh well yes as, of that's course, really good around you, which you mentioned and the Peter Serafinovich show as well easy for you to say um, I also think that I think part of the reason that uh, this goes on to the point I'm about to make. The part of the reason that Nick was like who is this guy mm. he's a bit rubbish is that he plays the part whoa 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 whoa, 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 whoa. well that is what you said I think this should stop a horse. I'm just saying, I didn't think that, I, I thought that the chemistry wasn't as strong as it could have been. But that's the point. That that's is the, the joke. That's the, see, 
that's the gag. But I think that that works because he is absolutely brilliant yes. in this role. He nails Agreed. it. It's like you totally believe him as a kind of rubbish local yeah. presenter who doesn't really have much presenting experience. And I think it's a really strong Gibbons writing trait about really nailing the awkwardness of like these televised mm-hmm. scenarios. And I think well, I'm sure we'll draw up more com- more examples. But I think you can see how a lot of this sort of stuff draws into this time as well, how yeah. they've used the awkward scenario of I, the TV studio. I think it's not even just uh, unique to the Gibbons writing as well. I think when we come on to talk about Knowing Me, Knowing You, I think there is a lot yeah. more texture to the guests in Open Books and Knowing Me, Knowing You radio, um, it, it, especially here where it's not just a case of, oh, okay, the host is is us, the audience, and Alan is the fool. There's mm. a bit of foolishness on both yeah. sides. And the way the, the, turn of, the turns of phrase and the puns from Chris in this that no one in the studio audience yeah. appreciates gives you a bit of an idea that he's, you know, he thinks he's a bit, a little bit better than he is. He thinks he's very learned yeah. and kind of literary. But actually, if Alan's a little bit too far down the ignorant route, Chris is a little too far up the pretentious route. And so yeah. they're kind of both at fault all the way through this. Can I just say, the more we talk about the show, the more I like it already. Well, I... I, I <laughs> you mean, know, it's, it kind of reveals itself a bit more when you start to dwell on it. Do you know what I mean? Not to skip ahead too much, but I really like this. I think okay. it's really good. Well, because I think actually and it's maybe not a bad thing to discuss at the opening. It's kind of, I was almost kind of dreading covering this because I watched it like originally mm, kind of around it when it came out and I remember being quite underwhelmed by it. But so I think it's that thing. It actually, it's better on repeat viewings because you get to appreciate why the awkwardness is there and how it's supposed to work and how it all kind of gels together and I guess mm. how it fits with other things in the APU around it as well. I also like that I, I do probably offer a slight counter um, perspective that I, I didn't like it as much, but I take what your, uh, oh. your points on board in terms of maybe it is a bit more layered than I've given it credit for, but let's also not forget it is ultimately a bit of a clumsy advert for a book. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Well, is it, I, it is also that. I yes. think. I think that's. I think I dismissed it when it first came out as, oh, okay, this is basically just bits from the book. Um, and I yeah. think. I think it is more than that. But also, it's not a show in its own right, is it? It really. It wouldn't exist without the book and vice versa. Yeah. Um. One thing I liked early on is that Chris Beale introduces Alan as, and I quote, a broadcasting colossus. And I think that's because partly Alan wants to be introduced that way, but also Chris would like to think that that's the level of guest that he's got as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it sort of serves them both to yeah. pretend that he's a big deal. I'm quite just quite enjoying that. You're just hating on Chris the entire time. <laughs> what a prick. Is the, is the first uh, really awkward line with him when he says, out of the radio station and onto our bookshelves, not literally, I hope, and then cut to absolute silence yep. from the studio audience. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of like awkward silence yeah. throughout. The, the, the audience doesn't really give the participation that they need to at any stage. Yeah, no. And is passive for the entire time. It, it's kind of that glorious thing where it's, the whole studio is just full of weirdos. Yeah, basically. yeah. As as is often the case, I think the smaller. Yeah. I mean, I think you get to the these days in TV, you get to the point where if a show is that small, you would just do away with the audience entirely. Yeah, you know, it would be better like, without like, it. Yeah, like a, like an only connect or something like that. But but this is obviously a, 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 an even smaller show, only going out probably in in the Anglia area. But they've insisted <laughs> on bringing in an audience, so it's literally yeah. The, the joke there is they've got to take. What Although they can I would get. say there is something about only connect that feels a bit cold and dead inside because there is no studio audience actually. So I think it's kind of I think yeah. I think they almost do it deliberately that awkwardness yeah. is kind of that's what only connects having about, a laugh. the slight nerdy awkwardness of it yeah. and I think uh, it's probably worth mentioning there was an only connect Alan Partridge round recently that quite a lot of people have messaged us about so mm. just yes yes we're aware of it thanks for it. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Can we talk about maintaining a healthy anus, perhaps? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, just, I just really enjoyed that when they have the various clips of Alan throughout his career... That that's the audible bit of speech in that clip from the mid-morning matters era brilliant i also enjoyed him um being championed as a champion <laughs> of women in sport uh, and then seen smacking yeah. a woman around the head <laughs> in a helmet. brilliant <laughs> poor rebecca front yeah so before we crack into the interview i've got i've got one more thing about robert popper a, a bit of a large question is this his biggest acting role looking at imdb i think it might be because the other key credits i pulled out were annoying man in an episode of peep show <laughs> bookshop customer in an episode of spaced not Janine in Hot Fuzz, and uncredited news reporter voice in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, yes, I think it so this is his starring role. Isn't very it? much a genius behind the camera with occasional <laughs> flashes of brilliance in front of it. But I wonder also, like, what made him do this then? He clearly hasn't done any of these roles. Yeah. I wonder what it was that persuaded him to do it and why he hasn't subsequently done anything more. But it's maybe that thing, just knowing that it's, it's a one-off. It's a one-off show and it's an opportunity to be a part of the APU. I think like most comic actors would jump at that chance to be a part yeah. of it. Like, you know, I think we've, we've all seen enough interviews about Tim Key saying how Steve Coogan was an absolute icon and he was kind of thrilled to be a part of the Partridge universe. So I'd imagine if it's, if you're someone who's a bit more inclined to be a writer and a bit more behind the scenes, but you can still be a part of it by doing one episode, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Into the interview, so uh, he suggests immediately that Alan Partridge and literature don't sit together in the mind's eye, but Alan corrects him saying that he believes that they do in the brain's ear. Um, <laughs> I think I do quite like the, the bits peppered throughout this where Alan sort of thinks he's rising to meet the intellect of the uh, of, of of the interviewer and, uh, and and isn't. He's just saying words. I guess they're both. <laughs> I guess they're both people where they, it kind of like you were saying. They both think they're operating on a higher level of intellect, but they're both getting it wrong in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, and he also tries to prove his point by saying he was touched deeply by an English teacher at school <laughs> and found that very exciting. But also, as a result, he got straight A's. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but is that bollocks? Well, because he's trying to elevate himself again, isn't he? He didn't. He, there's no evidence of him getting straight A's. I, I think he's got you, two shiny A levels. You can pick your punchline, can't you? Either, yeah. either it's yeah. either it's bollocks or something more sinister has happened in the school <laughs> and he's just sort of glossing over it there. Well, if I partridge is to be believed, he'd failed at failing his A-levels. That, yeah. that much we do know. 
Um, I enjoyed the way the interview opened with Alan back to the camera on the phone saying you should ask people if they want ice. I assume he's on the phone to Lynn at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't, is this, I can't remember exactly, but I think this might be to do with, he has been given a glass with ice by a runner, I yes. think. So he's probably on the phone to Lynn to complaining complain. about the treatment he's had in the studio yeah. because he's been given ice without asking Yeah. For it. And then you can, when he picks up the glass later on in the scene, you can hear the ice rattle. So I can yeah. assume he's annoyed about that. And I think, yeah, to be fair, from a television production point of view, you wouldn't want a, a glass of drink making noise whilst a guest is oh, drinking from it. Oh, I see. My TV interpretation inside. of that was my interpretation of that was that he was organising like some kind of party or something like that. <laughs> I mean, but well, but it, my it, note was it, it like who would that. go who would go to an Alan Partridge party? But then also that also, that makes sense as well. You should ask people if they want ice, not just give it to them. That's sort of yeah. Thing. yeah. Anyway, I, I think it it could be that, but I think because you have the payoff of hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't spot that. That's good. Um, it's worth mentioning that uh, as well as him reading large sections of I Partridge out as part of this, so, uh, you know, at least a third of this program is basically the book. Um, there are a few bits as well where he's talking about um, changing fresh pop sounds to cream of our discharge as an example of him sort of being mm. being good with words. So, I mean, that's that's a joke we've heard elsewhere. Mm. Well, well, yeah, that, that I, I double checked that section is word for word a foot, becomes a footnote in Nomad. Mm. Right. OK, yep. yeah. Oh, I see. So this is the first time you, you hear that, but it's recycled. Yes. Later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So exactly that whole phrase about Saxon Radio in Bury St. Edmunds. Yeah. Word for word. Did anyone else check IMDb for um, any actors in this and note um, some Partridge alumni in the audience? Uh, no. We no, have, I didn't actually. We, yeah. we have Martin Glyn Murray, who uh, is one ah. of the members of the book club who has played various callers in Mid Morning yes. Matters and this time and is a, if you read um, Steve Coogan's autobiography, is a sort of long-term friend and, and collaborator oh. as well. Oh, great. I love how nervous and disgruntled the book club look as well. Yeah. You, you can <laughs> tell by looking at them that it's not gonna, it's not gone down well. Yeah. Uh, and Alan seems very suspicious of them, even when they're claiming to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I liked... Um, when they asked them, did, did you like it? And it's simply, yes. Yes. Just a one word response. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their performance throughout is nothing short of enigmatic. They add so <laughs> much to the show. But I mean, they're, they're all uneasy in front of the camera. Chris Beale is uneasy in front of the camera. Alan is uneasy being with members of the general public. It's all just unease upon unease upon unease. He yeah. also becomes visibly nervous when he's asked to prove that he's a book enthusiast. because he, he knows he's in uncharted waters. I've written. <laughs> he feels challenged and he's angry. Yes, I'm a bibliophile. And also he, he's gone to the effort of what he dressing as a writer or at least what he thinks a writer should dress like. So the shirt and the cravat and everything. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Kind of, of, course, of course I'm a writer. I'm dressed mm. like one. It's the, fine. the things he thinks he knows about books yeah. are the five things that people that don't yeah. know about books know about books. Like, for example, <laughs> that people have burned books. So he's like, oh, I wouldn't burn a book. I only burned <laughs> only, only one. <laughs> Does anyone know the book he burned and why? Oh, oh, it's the Quran. Uh, not the Quran. It's uh, the Kama Sutra. Kama, it's the Kama, Kama Sutra. Sutra. And do you know why he burned it? Oh, I can't remember oh, now. Because he felt the women in it were too slutty. <laughs> <laughs> I think what he's done there is he thinks that it's the same woman in every position and that they just, they've gone too far. <laughs> he's very much quantifying his um, book knowledge as well, isn't he? Because he kind of says, oh, he's got over a hundred books in the same way that he says, <laughs> yeah. I've got over a hundred friends. Yep. That, that, that number is like a yeah. sweet spot that kind of triggers some kind of status of him being a well-read individual. And 104 books. Also, we don't actually believe that he's well-read at all, do we? I mean, we've asked previously in a podcast if Alan's ever finished 
published a book. Bravo T Zero, I yeah, think, yeah. was the conclusive answer. Yeah. Well, yes, and it improves of every read that we forgot. And I think you <laughs> yeah, can, let's you, not dwell on our mistakes. I think you can read a lot into him now grasping for straws, talking about how he reads short recipes on the loo to plan what's going to be the cause of his next visit. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's apparently so now re- recipes qualify uh, when you're trying to prove your, your literary credentials. Yep, I enjoyed that he called Christmas Christmas as well. There are a couple of great details I love about how bad. How, Obviously, the joke being how deliberately bad the TV production is, very, very poorly done. Like, Alan has to walk across the shop to go and read the book. So it's all about mocking poor production values of local TV. A proper TV show, you'd probably pre-record those segments entirely separately, or you just edit out the fact he has to walk across the back of the shop. Well, in fact, it, um, throughout the show... You see him walk over to read the book, but then when, never when, it, goes, back. when yeah. it goes back to the interview, they do yeah. cut that. So they could yeah. have cut it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess it's all part of the layers of the joke. Uh, and also, did you notice when he goes to sit down for the first uh, first reading, he says, where's the book? It should be there. So <laughs> again, stuff you could edit out, but obviously that is the joke. I also enjoyed um, you'd have kind of quite awkward uh, shots of uh, the audience just yeah. like nodding along. <laughs> like, just like mm, yeah, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> They will actually just end up looking like they wish they weren't there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan then says that he bought Richard Hammond's autobiography as a favour to him at a car boot sale. Uh, the quote is, uh, came out of a boot of a car, much like he did at high speed. Um, <laughs> I- <laughs> you know, I hadn't really thought about that. That's quite bad. That is quite bad. Yeah. That is quite bad. I went on to Amazon and looked up Richard Hammond's autobiography. Join me as I read one of the Amazon one-star reviews. Uh, okay. Is this our new regular feature? A new regular yeah. feature, one-star reviews. This is a strange product that I borrowed off Matt, who found it in a bin near Asda. (laughs) Great start. (laughs) I toyed with the idea of reading it for several seconds before reminding myself that Hammond is awful at everything that he does or says. Given that everything Hammond has ever done is dire and below the threshold which would be classed as lowest common denominator entertainment for morons, and I mean utter morons who are not academically capable of understanding an episode of Judge Judy, I still was in two minds. I mean, there is a moral dilemma here. What do I do with the book? If I bin it, as as the previous owners did, then there is a risk that it may be discovered and contaminate somebody else's mind. A child, or simpleton, for instance. (laughs) If I destroy it, then I might be accused of being a Hitlerite for burning a book, albeit a dreadful, pointless, and pathetically rubbish one. Does anyone know of a nearby volcano so that I can throw it in there to be on the safe side? Ouch. <laughs> um, there's a section around this point where he's talking about, um, uh, he implies that he holidays alone in the car, a boot full of luggage, as many books as he can fit on the back seat and passenger seat. It becomes obvious that this is an invented holiday, and it's one of those things, again, that even in the holiday that he's conjured up in his mind, he's still travelling alone. There's no room in that car <laughs> for any uh, any company. That's classic, isn't it? His imagination always fails him, doesn't it? Mm. Um, they ask him if he prefers paper or an electronic device, and you get a nice little bit of Alan Cadence that I like, where he goes, oh, paper. Old paper, like very sort of wistful, <laughs> wistful about it, yeah. And it's slightly clutching at straws, but almost a throw forward to paper, paper, paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and I think just before that happens, um, there's a bit where he makes uh, he makes Chris do a really high-pitched meow sound, and that just that bit just really, really tickled <laughs> me. I enjoyed that a lot. Chris, at that point, has got a bit of a slight psychic Simon feel to him, I thought. Like, uh, mm. like Is it the beard? It's the beard. <laughs> it's it's the way that he Alan basically forces him to make a bit of a fool of himself. And then Chris gets on to talking about his own book about the Crimean War, but Alan's got no patience for it. A bit like when psychic Simon's telling the tale of being adopted and Alan just cuts him off mid-flow. Yeah, that's, that's a good shout. Um, yeah, because Alan says, uh, he well, he admits to Chris's face that he hasn't read Chris's book because he hates the title. Terrible. It's a, title. it's a valid reason, isn't it? I'm not going to read it. 
Um, he also mentions, Alan does, that the uh, the benefit of a real book to him over uh, an electronic device is that <laughs> it doesn't allow him to access pornography on it like a tablet would. I think he basically can't resist the lure. And I mean, this is a theme that's explored again in uh, Alpha Papa, isn't it? Yeah. Does, does he say, um, it's <laughs> enjoy a good novel free from the nagging distraction <laughs> of <laughs> hardcore online pornography? What's a line? I think we can all relate to that. Did anyone else notice that when um, he was actually uh, reading the chapters um, from iPartridge, that at no point was he actually reading the book itself? He was just reading from an auto cue. Yes, but uh, but also if you actually look at the book in his hands, I think some things were highlighted. Yeah, how do you think? So I, well, no, they, well, no, you they, can they, see they them. Can see. Oh right, okay. I'm, I'm, I didn't I'm see not that. guessing. <laughs> you literally say it. <laughs> Um, we find out that he thinks Mr. Tickle is a Dickens character. <laughs> um, oh, Dickens. And uh, did anyone make note of the, uh, the the poetic way that he thought about the pulping of bouncing back? He says, uh, I don't think of it as gone. If you pulp some biscuits, you haven't lost those biscuits. You've gained the base of a cheesecake. <laughs> uh, and uh, and he says, uh, and a tenor for 80,000 words, Partridge is no slouch in the value for money department either. So again, books are, books are judged by their weight rather than their mm. content in Alan's <laughs> world. Actually, that's an interesting link to... Uh, knowing me, knowing you, radio about books and their weight. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll cover it. Uh, I think we're at the point where he spots some twins in the audience, aren't we? Did anyone spot these first time? You know, when they cut to the guy, the first guy. Did you? Did yeah. anyone else notice the person in the back? No, no not, I didn't not either. The first viewing, but obviously when yeah, you yeah, review yeah. it, you're like, oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But when they cut to him for the first time, the twin is yeah. in the background. Didn't notice at all. Yeah, looks a lot like Elijah Wood as well. A pointless fact there. <laughs> I mean, also like, fact, dubious definition. Yeah, yeah, right, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it, mar- it marks the first of many occasions throughout the rest of this show where Alan uh, has people moving and replacing <laughs> audience members at oh, yeah. will. I don't even know if he's having that. Is he? Is he having influence on that, or is it being done? Well, I think it's being done to appease him, whether he's actually asked for it or not, because he's found the twins off-putting when they're yeah. next to each other. Yeah. He doesn't communicate. Yeah, I suppose they just yeah. take... They- and then you see that they've been moved apart yeah. and then we'll get onto it, but yeah, there there's, are, another, there's yeah. another person yeah. that becomes an issue for Alan. <laughs> okay, can you guys remember when Alan's asked how he'd rate his own book, he uses three words. What were those words? Ooh, uh... Oh, is one of them timeless? No? No. I know I know. they're all very complimentary, obviously. Yeah, obviously. So what we're learning is no one's got this in their notes. No. no. Uh... <laughs> Describing the same book, he says it left him astonished, <laughs> elated, and humbled. Did it leave you guys uh, astonished, elated, and humbled when you read it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, couldn't agree more. Probably elated is the most likely of <laughs> Did you like the detail about, he talks about his mother reading to him for half an hour every night before hitting the stopwatch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, that's something I definitely didn't pick up on, on no, first same, I yeah. noticed that. Brilliant. Uh, he also does uh, mention his father being dead in this in this version of the APU. So I kind of, yeah, I enjoyed that um, on, on his mum um, reading to him, um, the detail that uh, she would, for some inexplicable reason, Germanize Rupert uh, and Paddington, but did, oh, a, yeah. did a brilliant noddy. Yeah, <laughs> outstanding noddy. <laughs> also, I think one, pe- one part that we missed uh, earlier, which I found was quite an interesting line, was that um, Alan said that it was reinventing the autobiography genre for the Skype generation. Like, <laughs> the Skype generation? When was that a thing? That is not a thing, is it? <laughs> not that, a is, thing. that is really good, actually. I hadn't really picked up on that. <laughs> that yeah. feels like something where a lazier comedy writer would have used MySpace, but Skype yeah, is just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. just a slightly more current and not such an obvious, like, yeah. dated term to use. Um, I also like that he nearly called the book Knee Jerk, but was worried that to Geordie's it would sound like saying there's near jokes in it. <laughs> that is good. And there is jokes in it. 
Uh, I also enjoyed uh, Alan referring to his dad as uh, Pop, which he has done before, but uh, that his dad would secretly read The Secret Seven hidden in the dust jacket of the book of the fall of the Roman Empire. <laughs> like, that his dad's so ashamed of reading Enid Blyton. Oh, but I, I think the, the, the power to this is brilliant when he's basically saying, oh yeah, my father had a secret love of looking at books about children. And then there's a look of realisation on his face that yeah, this yeah. might be quite dark. That yeah. is so good. Um, there's then a list of things that he had to take out of his book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All bleeped out. I don't know if anyone else has got a list, but uh, Martin Bashir's bleep addiction, <laughs> the incredible sweat problems faced by bleep, uh, there's a whole Toxvig saga, uh, bleep's addiction to fascism, and the time Alistair Stewart found a bleep, <laughs> two chicks with dicks. Yeah. I love that that bit is not bleeped out. And, no. um, oh yeah, and then the, but the next night I have is about big aims in yeah. a bad place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, also the fact that he, he's been calling Sally Gunnell from a payphone. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, no context for that, really, but just, yeah, I thought it was important. Yeah. You know, and the, the reason that Big Aim, well, not what the reason that Big Aim's in a bad place, but the reason that that line comes is because uh, Eamon Holmes has been sending uh, Alan uh, a JPEG of a mutilated squirrel. Oh, that's right. And yeah, Chris has also received that image. Because <laughs> no, I think it's that sort of thing. It's a bit like when he talks about being on an email distribution list with, oh, who was it? Richard Keyes. Yes. It's, so it's a bit like, so Alan's kind of in circles like Richard Keyes, Eamon Holmes. I don't believe Chris Beale would be in those circles, no. however. Love no. you, Aim. <laughs> I, I do also enjoy that that this, it's, again, just adding to the 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 layers of the textuality here, that even though this, this standalone show may not be the best addition to the APU, which I'm sure we can summarise at the end, but, you know, the fact it does add on like more to the mythology about his friendship with Sally Gunnell, with Eamon Holmes, stuff like that, it just, just makes it all, all that little bit richer. Yeah, yeah. They like to top up the kind of mm. the stories of his yeah, friendship. Yeah. Don't it they? must be nice as well if you're Eamon Holmes and you're a genuine fan or, or Noel Edmonds. You never know, they might enjoy the show. And them kind of like receiving this or, or hearing about their own persona like portrayed in the APU. Mm. Um, mm. I can't believe that Eamon Holmes would not be a fan of that. Eamon, if you're listening, get in touch, mate. <laughs> Let us know. What's it like? When we see uh, famous people who are mentioned in the APU respond to it, it is a mixed bag, isn't it? I think yeah, Bill Oddie's confused by it. He's confused by it more than anything, I think. Yeah. But Eamon I, Holmes is, is so over the top, like him in the bath eating sliders, <laughs> <laughs> him sending Alan a mutilated squirrel. Like, it's quite extreme. I like to think that Eamon Holmes' reaction to this would be more about me. Sure. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Love it. So we get questions from audience members or, or statements. Uh, one of them says that uh, Alan's book made them cry, uh, to which Alan says he's in a delighted place uh, to hear that. Um, oh, oh, sorry, just, it, just just before that, I think, I think there's, a, there's a lot to dwell on here. Just before that, another bad production value. I think as Alan's going over to read the section Splitting from Carol, the studio lights actually dip on Chris Beale as he's setting up that segment. So again, <laughs> like, if that happened in a real TV show record, you'd just you'd do it again. Mm. Um, I also liked that Carol receives, and I quote, a fair portrayal. I think we know that that's not true. <laughs> so yeah, that audience question is a bit weird, isn't it? I'm not sure this bit works massively well, for well, me. Well, I think the, the the main point to make, it's not even a question. No, true. It, it's it's yeah. just, um, so the actor is Tom Davis, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But yeah, just saying, uh, I don't have a question, it just made me cry. Um, the guy who bullied you at school, he was horrible, wasn't he? And Alan starts looking quite scared at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's and confused. A, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's. I guess it's a little bit of this is the sort of Twilight Zone. This show, 
of where celebrities and members of the public are not separated in the way that they would that, that the celebrity would like mm. to be entirely comfortable. This is like the opening of a supermarket kind of situation, isn't it? Where, where <laughs> like the public could touch him if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Maniacs that might have spent a lot of their time <laughs> thinking about you while you spent none of your time thinking about them can turn up and freely stand right in front of you and say whatever they want. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the implication here is this is almost Jed Maxwell part two, isn't it? This guy is a little bit yeah. too Espe- emotionally Especially when he comes back round for another yeah. question um, and then you notice in the next shot that he's been replaced by a runner like, yeah, they yes. don't have any they don't have any spare audience so it's just someone with yeah. a headset like. so i think when we're talking about is that alan's request i think obviously this studio production team they've gone right get this guy out of here this is going to go bad yep and then next thing you know the twins have been moved again as well so that's three times now the audience has had to be shifted um, so yeah, and are you guys familiar with Tom Davis at all? Any the, of his work? Yeah, the uh, I, I looked at his IMDb. The, I think the only thing that I'd seen him in was in Paddington Two, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so I think probably the thing, the vehicle he's most known for is probably Murder and Successful. But I have to say, in my notes, I've got I've near seen it. No, I haven't seen that either. Although it, it was it, reviewed very, very well, yeah, wasn't it's, it? It's supposed it to be good. really yeah. good, so probably should give that a watch. Yeah. He's uh, also on uh, Judge uh, Romesh. Anyone watch that? Oh, I've seen an episode of it. Yeah. I didn't see him. He's the it, bailiff in Judge Romesh. Right, mm. right, right. And yeah, uh, King Gary, which is quite a recent BBC thing as well, which I think Romesh also is a character in. Uh, and oh, I think uh, key mention, I think Jed will enjoy this. He was also horrifically murdered in Prevenge. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. Nice. Great film. Yeah. Uh, can oh, oh, sorry, one more fact. He's apparently six foot seven inches tall. Yeah, that, he looks like a big lad, doesn't that he? That is a tall man. That is a big yep. unit. Can anyone tell me how Alan conjures up a feeling of anger when writing? Is this about the bag of Skittles? Yes, he eats an entire <laughs> bag of Skittles and that makes him angry enough to write. I suppose uh, he doesn't need to... I he totally missed that. He doesn't need to recapture the anger of his youth, doesn't uh, he? Because a, uh, a lot of his chapters are basically grudges. I, yeah, and I think that this sort of uh, ties into what we're going to come and talk about a little bit later in, the, in, in future episodes around, uh, obviously, the radio series, but violence is a sort of red thread that runs through um all of that um, but i did enjoy um uh, that and his his whole writing style in general in terms of him doing 1500 words a day which is obviously a, a fairly paltry sum um the fact that he needs to take a, a break every couple of hours to do shadow boxing just just the <laughs> image that that kind of conjures that he's gone oh i've done you know 500 words time for a quick shadow box like, <laughs> just let off a bit of steam i mean also the fact that he keeps boiled eggs in a bowl in a drawer for sustenance yeah i mean that suggests that he bulk boils and then, <laughs> and then they sit in that drawer for god knows how long so that he can just uh, eat them quickly when he needs a pick-me-up seriously it stinks could, could we assume that he's sharing those eggs with seldom yes <laughs> yes. Uh, yes possibly um uh, maybe that's why they have to go in a drawer that he can close to yeah, keep yes, seldom yeah. away i uh and a uh, jed i assume that would be your snack of choice whilst writing yeah, yeah. two thumbs up ed is uh, ed, ed? <laughs> who's ed it's a it's a mixture of jed and egg <laughs> <laughs> producer ed egg shepherd <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and that's not a man shepherding yeah. eggs no that's, no, that's, that's a man ge- called egg shepherd yes yeah. and also coincidentally <laughs> jed's dream job <laughs> um just to go back to the skittles i like the fact that he eats the bag after a brief sugar rush he then falls asleep on the tracker pad and then has to be woken up by lynn <laughs> also they mentioned that off the back of the boiled eggs he, he once didn't poo for four days and his cleaner said he went yellow uh, presumably at this point sonia <laughs> is still that yeah. cleaner we think uh, yeah, that poo story oh. is brilliant. So he gets his fibre intake wrong, doesn't poo for four days, drinks two pints of milk of magnesia, 
Um, uh, <laughs> Have you yeah, got the quote? I haven't got the quote here, oh. but I've basically got. Uh, he, he, it was. It was lucky that he was out in a forest. He went in the forest. He burned his clothes and wait, waited oh, until it? waited oh. until nightfall and then ran home. Yep. <laughs> in a forest by a river. To give like, a direct, to give a direct quote, Chris says, uh, "Did that work? Oh yeah." Christ, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Thank God I was in a forest by a river. I just burned my clothes and then ran home. Yeah. And that, that's another thing that I've really picked up on in a few rewatches of this, that there are these throwaway kind of details, like he was in a forest by a river, where you get these little snapshots of whatever Alan's daily life is. And I think that that's the real, that, those are the real gems in this show, I think. That, you know, like his writing process with his skittles and the boiled eggs. It's just those ridiculous things that, that come out, but they're kind of throwaway in the actual core narrative of what the show's all about. See, interestingly, reading that back and, and talking about it now, if that was to happen in, say, if that poo story was to happen in, say, Alpha Papa or in another sitcom with Alan in it, you would think that was jumping the shark. It was mm. too ridiculous. Mm. But just him talking about it is really, really funny. But if it happened in a show, you'd be a bit like, well, that's not Alan, really. That's not Alan comedy, yeah. really. Yeah. They're very good at not putting it in front of you, but just letting you know it's happening. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Can, they can get away with the more extreme stuff by it has to exist in your mind's eye yeah. or your mind's ear. I like to think, I like to think <laughs> Brain's in, ear. In, the, um, the in the Alan archivist uh, file, wherever that exists, we know, we know it's somewhere, <laughs> that there's just a long list of bullet points about Alan's personality, just in case you need them. And that one of them says, claims Andy McNabb invented the present tense for dramatic effect. Because <laughs> <laughs> they talk a lot about Alan yeah. switching tenses uh, in a very kind of crude and obvious way in this book. And uh, and he basically claims that it's Andy McNabb that invented the uh, the idea in the first place. Yeah, Alan's writing style is described by one of the book club members as schizophrenic and Alan immediately has issue with that and says he wants to stab the audience member. <laughs> oh, yeah, I take that back. They say he lurches between styles of uh, tone and sentimentality and he accuses uh, Chris, is it Chris? And um, the presenter and the book club reviewer says you sound like Rosencrantz and Goldenstein uh, which is obviously a bastardization of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern the, the yeah but I, 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 that I went still, over my head I was still quite impressed because even though I think he does mispronounce the second name it's quite a strong for him that's quite a good literary reference yeah to get like it half two right parts it, from Hamlet yeah. is not bad um did anyone note down Alan's four reasons that he cries? Yeah, he only cries for four reasons. Yep, sadness. Yes, onions. Yes, racism. Yes, not blinking. <laughs> yep, but, but mainly sadness and onions. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, racism. It's yep. a no. He usually remembers to blink and he avoids racism where he can. Um, I also like that in the. Uh, I think it's Chris says it to him. He says the title I Partridge has been called needlessly grandiose. Yep. To which Alan says, "Thank you very much." <laughs> <laughs> that that's quite a good trope that I think you see more that people paying him. Well, ba basically, people criticising him and he misreads it as a compliment. Yeah. yeah, I think even going back to the the original radio series, there are a few times when that happens. Yeah, I think interestingly, I've got more notes on um, on open books in the latter half. So I think by this point, the pace has picked up a little mm -hmm. bit, and mm -hmm. the gags are coming quite quickly here. I think. Um, now I like Alan's written output. I imagine I would enjoy bouncing back if I got the chance to read it. I enjoyed I'd, lo it. I'd love to. I'd love them to make. Yeah. Bouncing back. I enjoyed I Partridge and I enjoyed Nomad, but I feel like the book I really want to read is Alan's What If Titanic book that he talks about <laughs> at this point, where he's he's sort of written in his mind, but definitely not on the page, where Titanic has a double hull and fewer passengers. The driver it ends up being charged with speeding and the driver dreams the whole disaster as a premonition sort of final destination style. I love that the whole thing just doesn't make no. any sense. The more he has to explain it, the more it falls apart. I also, I, I, this is a bit of a stretch, but um, I think this this special was around the time that Steve Coogan was, do, or had done quite a, a stint of going to Hollywood and appearing in comedies mm. and things. And I mm. suppose this kind of 
bastardizing the Titanic story is not a million miles away from Steve Coogan's role in Hamlet 2, um, which is a film I'd love to see and I still haven't seen. Oh, I haven't seen that. Haven't no. seen I, it, no. I think, I, I can't remember the plot off, the, back, off the, the top of my head, but I think it's basically about, you know, attempting to, attempting to top the original tale. Yeah, by, Hamlet 2 this time, yeah. it's Hamlet here. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is definitely along those lines and, you know, perhaps that's, perhaps that's where the genesis for this what if Titanic book came from the similar kind of thing. Did anybody make a note of who Alan would want to play him in a film on the Hollywood subject? Uh, uh, yep, I've got that. Yeah, me too. You go, Nick. Okay, I'll go, Tom. Thanks. You go. Damien Lewis. Well done, Nick. The ginger actor. The ginger actor, Damien Jack-ta. Lewis. <laughs> uh, I would say a question for the group. Who would you have play you in a film? Ooh. Tom, you do Adam. Adam, you do me. Me, I'll do Stab. You've lost me there. Right, okay. Who would you have play you in a film? You're but doing Adam. Adam, you're me. doing me. I get me. to choose who plays Adam. You were asking would, us who do we want uh, to play us in a film, but we're not allowed to answer the question. doing it other people. Yes. Okay. Right, who am Adam, I doing? Adam, you're getting John Goodman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I'm going to give Nick a young David Jason. I'm going to give Tom Stab a... Let's say Brad Pitt. Um, I'm going to yeah. say... You remind me of a young Lenny Henry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe a shorter Stephen Merchant. <laughs> All right, fine. And uh, who am I doing? The only You're one doing left. Me. Dark. Uh, Will from the Inbetweeners. <laughs> Simon Bird. Really great. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, so for this last segment, Alan has stood on his glasses. So is now <laughs> yeah, that is brilliant. <laughs> but don't don't. What I love is it kind of again. It's one of those gags that they've done that sort of unfurls in a few stages. First, he stands on his glasses, which is kind of funny. Then he then he has massive replacement glasses on, and yeah. then they <laughs> cut to the audience member that he's taken them from, who's desperately squinting. The oh, I didn't spot on. that. Oh, it's, so yeah, I love it. I didn't yeah. spot that. It, really it's a really struggling. good one, two, three, isn't it? I yeah. think I was distracted by the. <laughs> fact that his glasses have gone full Deirdre Rashid yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and this is the bit where uh, sexuality and sensuality come yes. up a lot don't they repeated endlessly actually um, there's, a, there's a line about Prince Charles but I couldn't oh, yeah. I couldn't place where he's talked about Prince Charles in the past I can't remember there a reference in iPartridge I can't remember but what I do like is Alan's quote afterwards which is I fully support his views on architecture whatever they may yeah. be <laughs> I think that's that's just where the gag lies isn't it that yeah. he's, sa- he's saying that he agrees with something but he doesn't actually know what he's agreeing and with and ultimately just wants to be friends with anyone who's rich enough to own their own manor Yes. So, so Adam, would you say that this podcast is sexual and sensual? Uh, I would certainly consider this podcast sensual and sexual, but I'm not sure that I can conclusively say that it was sensual <laughs> and sexual. I would say it wasn't sexual, but was it sensual? <laughs> Alan, Alan is unsure whether his evening with Glenn Ponder was sensual yeah. or not. Yeah. Well, he's he's very clear that it's not sexual, isn't he? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knows, wasn't sexual. He knows he doesn't want that to be true. <laughs> but the more he thinks about it, you can see he's coming around to the idea that it, either it might have been sensual or probably more likely that saying it was might ingratiate him to a literary crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the slow zoom as well as that question is yeah. posed. Yes. The, the, the kind long, of the, awkward pause. The slow zoom while Alan, like, genuinely digs into his mind to think about what the answer to this question might be. There's an absolutely wonderful couple of sentences where he's talking talking about dating when you're older. (laughs) Um, He says, when you're over 50, you have to accept a degree of humiliation. It's a numbers game. If you run into a chicken coop with a truncheon and a bin bag, you're not going to get them all. (laughs) That is is great writing. I think that's my highlight of the episode. Line of the episode, I think. 
Um, also, this is not a big deal, but just something odd that I think they must have thrown in for comic effect. Alan pours himself a fresh glass of water when he knows there's 30 seconds left of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about dating is, what, what we learn here is that Alan has been making a habit of approaching women in petrol station forecourt. <laughs> yeah, right? does that work? So, well, <laughs> maybe mixed results. But again, that's one of those little throwaway, it's almost a throwaway detail, but it's a real insight into what Alan's life is like at this point. Mm. And I also just enjoyed keeping it centred around the petrol station. So, you know, Michael's not there, but he's still going to whatever his local BP garage is. And, but now he's doing that to pick up women instead. But I'd also say, like, it is a desperation, but it is for Alan because I feel like he probably doesn't put any time, effort or energy into dating. It's just a case of, like, anything will do and it's an absolute <laughs> mad dash, whatever he can get. <laughs> Anyone's around. Yeah. A ram raid. Also, just think about the, the logistics, the, rea- the realistic logistics of him trying to date people that he meets in a garage. I mean, firstly, garages are tiny. Uh, if 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 I if I went into a petrol station garage and was there for more than five minutes, I would feel very uncomfortable, especially if there's just one person behind the counter looking at me. Like it's not the sort of place that you can just while away the hours waiting for women to come in that you find attractive, <laughs> is it? I wonder if he's based this on Michael meeting Neris outside of Thrashers. So if that worked <laughs> yeah, for Michael, yeah, yeah. that could work for me. Yeah, I mean to be fair, if it worked for Michael, it probably could work for him. <laughs> exactly, that seems fair. I think there are a few things. Actually, I think when you're talking about the glass of water, like why does he have another glass of water? I wonder if. Basically, this, these last couple of moments of the show, I wonder if the whole Glenn Ponder conversation has just really thrown him because when he says, uh, he gets asked if he'd want, like to read another section of the book, he just shakes his head. Um, and then he's just, at the, as the show closes, Alan's just looking uncomfortable, just like shrugging at Chris. And it, it read to me like maybe he's really stuck on the Glenn Ponder question <laughs> now and he just can't him, get that out of his mind. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it is that. I think yeah. also this at this point, it's been a long time since he's been on telly and I think he's either forgotten or he's got no respect <laughs> for the conventions of TV. So that's why he's on his phone at the start of the episode. He pours himself a water when it makes no sense to do it. When Chris is trying to have sort of, you know, silent chat over the credits as people do, mm. Alan refuses to take yeah. part in it. Yeah. And it's either that it's been so long since, uh, since knowing me, knowing you, that he just doesn't know what he's doing or he's just you know he's been on a big BBC TV show now he's on a little Norfolk show why should he bother yeah, trying I'm, I'm sh- I think it would make sense that he believes he's better than that show mm. he's probably doing it because it's all he can get uh, so how do we think this fits into the uh, the ranking of of Allen projects it's hard because obviously it's part i partridge but and it's part promotional Yes. Well, actually, I've, I've done some number crunching on this um, because this is the thing about saying I was a bit reticent about covering it, like, oh, it's just a rehashing of iPartridge material. But actually, there are 12 minutes and 28 seconds of reading from the book and the show in total is 42 minutes, 33 seconds. So it's 29% of the show is iPartridge material. So it's basically a basically half-hour special. We've, yeah. got a, we've got a half hour of new Alan in this show. Mm-hmm. So it is when you think about it like that, it's like, actually... Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's it. There is more value to it than just a rehash yeah. of him reading out words. From yeah, my, um, from my partridge. Because if it was, I mean, obviously it is. Like Nick said, you know, a bit of a, um, a piece of promo for for the book. It would have been a lot easier for them to just do a straight sort of more promotional led episode rather than bothering to write a whole mm. bunch of new material. But they've gone to the effort of building this conceit. They've gone to the effort of like you said, doing basically half an hour's worth of new Alan material in order to, you know, get the the um, uh, Alan reading quotes from it. And, you know, I don't see it as, even though ultimately it probably is a vehicle to sell the book, I don't view it as a cynical cash in, just quick turnaround. Yeah, I think they, they brought they brought value to it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it really works when you contextualise that it's, this would have, this aired on TV just after the paperback coming out and it was also a prelude to the, uh, the Mid-Morning Matters series 
going on Sky Atlantic as well. It's actually like it really works well sitting between the two. And it's a way that if people w- weren't aware of the book or were dubious about the book, it's a good way for Partridge fans to learn, actually, yeah. this book is great and you should get it. So I think it it's um, one thing that I didn't I didn't appreciate at the time when all this was going on, probably and didn't didn't give the writers enough credit for is that they don't take shortcuts, really. You know, like if you think about iPartridge coming out, they would have had so many opportunities to do the shit cash in, you know, word search, like caption competition version of an Alan Partridge book yeah. for Christmas. Mm, and they didn't. Yeah, yeah. And with this, he did, we know he did a book tour of Waterstones mm. around the release of this because there's mm-hmm. a little snippet of footage yep. in, yeah. in this. They could easily have just cobbled together a clip show from that with, with some of Alan's best bits. That's a good point. It could mm. have just been a clip show. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't. They made they made a half hour special and it went out and it and, and it shows, you know, the quality shows, I think. Did we cover this at the beginning? It went out on Sky, didn't it? Yeah. Sky Atlantic. Sky Atlantic, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, what? I think it's hard to know where to place this because... I would say it's not as good as the other specials. Like it's not as good as uh, Places of My Life. I don't think. I don't think it's as good as Scissor Isle. But also, it is a bit of a different proposition because it exists for slightly different reasons. And it's a bit more similar to Mid Morning Matters, I think, in that it exists mm. in real time and in the constraints of a very limited. You know, it's one mm. room. It's only the people there. Mm. There's no behind. It's not even as much behind the scenes as there is in this time. Mm. So I think I quite like. I, I, I prefer the Alan that comes out when it's in quite tight parameters like that. I think it's, I really enjoyed it. I think what's, what was really interesting for me watching it again recently was watching it post this time existing. You can really see how they've taken, where they've played around with the formats of the awkwardness of live television and the television studio. You can see how they've taken, they, they started playing around with those ideas in open books and they've then taken them through to this time and made made them work in a bigger and better way. So I think, the the almost the hindsight of that mm. makes it a much more rewarding watch in a way. And I think you probably got the sort of tropes of their writing style that you can now see with the joy mm. of hindsight mm. that probably when it came out you were still kind of adjusting to some degree to getting used to what was the next phase of Alan. But on reflection now you can kind of see it and you recognise it in terms of it has the sort of gibbons all over it, if you mm. will. Mm. Yeah. Uh, any further thoughts on open books? It's also worth pointing out, maybe, or considering that um, this uh, isn't particularly well viewed by a majority of um, the Partridge audience or to our listeners at home. Is that the curse of Sky Atlantic? I think so, yeah. (laughs) So uh, it's probably just worth saying that if you do want to watch Open Books, if you haven't seen it yet, or if you want to watch it again, um, if you look hard enough, it is available on the internet. But then also you can buy it on DVD. Uh, There is a uh, sort of special package that's uh, available on DVD. It's called Alan Partridge, A Partridge Milgramage, the special. Uh, and that includes um, Welcome to the Place of My Life and Open Books. Great. Um, before we wrap up, I've got a bit of a fun game um, that I thought we could play before Ooh. we finish the episode. Nick's it's fun game. Fun game. <laughs> so Alan says um, that you can save time if the title explains the plot. So he gives an example where he says, uh, church puzzle collection would be the Da Vinci Code. So what I've done is I've crafted... What I hope is, <laughs> really hope it works. <laughs> Ten um, similar examples. All you have to do is guess the book based on the short description. Does everything make sense? Is, Yell it out if you know. This fa- fastest name first. Okay. Yell it out when you know, okay. and we'll see how we go. Uh, and let's, without further ado, let's start. Play okay. along at home. Play along at home. Number one. Clown goes berserk twice. Tom. Tom. I'm going to say Tom Dark. It. Correct. <laughs> Su- Thank you. Always remember the bell. Yep. We did forget that in a previous episode. Yeah. We've got it now. <laughs> Number two. Superheroes turn out to not all be super. Tom. Yes, Tom. Watchmen. 
Correct. Mm. Oh, yeah. Number three. Have we thought about how many plots we're ruining for people who haven't read these books? <laughs> it's too late for that. Yeah, if you okay. haven't read the books, look away now. We saved it to the end for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number three. Local DJ goes for big walk. Tom. Adam. It's Tom Dab. It's Tom Stab. Nomad. No. Oh. <laughs> Also, I think the way Nick has done this, it is more of a plot reveal than like a kind of... It's fine. It's, fine. it's, it's fine. still it's fine. a bit of fun. Number four. Repre- repre- rep- Easy rep- for you to say. Repressed millennials bonk. <laughs> <laughs> Adam. Adam. Fifty Shades of Grey. Correct. <laughs> Number five. Detective's holiday is ruined on a river cruise. Tom. Stab. Tom Stab. <laughs> uh, it is Death on the Nile. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very good. Number six. A messiah goes for a ride on a sandworm. Tom Stab. Tom, oh. Tom Stab. Is it June? Correct. Yeah. It's a sandworm that gave it away, isn't it? <laughs> Number seven. Schoolgirl's cold adventure to sort parents' relationship. Say that again. What? Schoolgirl's cold adventure to sort parents' relationship. Adam. Is it his dark materials? Ah, oh, oh, yes. the lights, but I'll give Very it that. good. Oh, yeah. Very good. Uh, number eight. Aliens invade and catch a cold. Tom Stab. Tom, oh. Tom Stab. Wild Woods. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yes. War of the Worlds. Uh, number nine. Evil genius solves and commits crimes. Oh. It's actually uh, quite annoying when you can't think of it. Oh, I can't Tom think of films. Stab. Okay. You're confused with yeah. your own name. Yeah. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? No. <laughs> C- can we get it again? Yep, get it again. Uh, evil genius solves and commits crimes. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. I, really, I don't know. Dead air is a crime. I'm, I'm annoyed I that, uh, that Nick is stumping us. I know. Okay. Silence of the Lambs. Uh, oh, okay. And this is a bit of a play on words. Uh, so number 10. Uh, count on this guy to suck. Tom. Tom. Oh, Tom. Dracula. Or, or Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> yeah, it must be Dracula. Uh, that concludes my fun game. Oh, I, on... think it, I think it definitely worked, oh, Nick. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Really, really great. Really great. It, Nick, I have to say, it was brilliant that you had the idea to come up with that quiz. Yeah, well 100% your idea. <laughs> yeah. Well All done, Nick's Nick. Own work. Well done, Nick. <laughs> uh, who like who won, by the way? I've got a sticker three. or a lollipop for Nick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you keep score? I think Tom Stab won. I think Tom Stab's winning all the quizzes. Well, I got three. I got Adam more. got some, Tom got some. There we yeah. go. And on that uh, hotly contested literary bombshell, we come to the <laughs> end of this week's uh, Monkey Tennis. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't subscribed, please do. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss an episode. And if you haven't given us a review, we would appreciate anything. Five stars are up. You can't get any higher. Um, <laughs> get in touch with us as well. Let us know what you think about open books. Maybe you're watching it for the first time off the back of listening to this, or perhaps you are an advocate uh, that's been very angry. We've never covered it until now. Uh, it's thepartridgepod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod. On Twitter, it's at thepartridgepod, Instagram at monkeytennispod, and the Monkey Tennis hotline is 07923 uh, From all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you. Egg uh, Shepherd. I must complete the journey that my father never could. I must do it on foot. Can't remember why. It will be called The Footsteps of My Father Walk. My home isn't insulated. I was going to say as well uh, that um, I was going to do some Roald Dahl names, but then I thought his books are actually the best uh, at giving the plot summary in the title. So George's Marvellous Medicine, you can't beat that, can you? James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, The Twits, Man Rides on Fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, that's the, the same. You haven't shortened it. No, oh, that's true. I'm leaving all that in as well. 
Yeah, you've, it just please. Asked, this that. is this is like yeah. you at the live show at the end apologising. It's funny yeah. story. <laughs> Monkey tennis. Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis with a stupid Ewok head. Lava on him, nosy. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis. A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis. We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis. Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey tennis. Oh, fuck off, Nick. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.